If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. But before we read that, I just want to uh, share something with you that, that is on my heart, especially if you've been here, uh, if you're relatively new, and that is that I want you to understand I'm not a professional pastor. Pastoring was not a career choice for me. I fell in love with Jesus and just wanted to serve him, and Mary and I ended up in missions. But in the process, I realized that a lot of the stuff I had been taught when I was growing up wasn't actually biblical. So I had this hunger to know what does the Bible actually say? And not just to know about it, but then to do it. As a result of that, I started being asked to teach. And uh, in fact, uh, Mary and I originally came to Australia because we were invited to come and help uh, establish a Bible college in a church in Adelaide. Uh, I realized in that time that the Bible says that let not many of you desire to be teachers because you face a greater accountability. And I really took that seriously. I didn't want to be sharing anything that wasn't Bible. Problem with that is that some of the stuff I shared early on in my understanding of God and his ways, I would not share today. I sure hope God doesn't actually hold me accountable for those, no, <laughs> he does. Shortly after that, well, a number of years after that, God asked Mary and I to plant a church in Melbourne. And then I realized that not only am I accountable for what I teach, I'm accountable for what I, how I lead. I decided I should take another job. Uh, but it, again, forced me to say, hey, what does the Bible actually say? What is God's pattern? What I'm saying to you is this. I don't represent a denomination or a team. As much as I can, I want to represent Jesus and do it right. And so I don't ever ask you to do something I don't do. None of our team does. None of these guys are professional pastors. None of our team are professional pastors. They're just men and women who are following Jesus and saying, hey, we want to help others. So having said all that, I want to give you a key that I found for living in the kingdom of God. So if I had to give a title to this morning, that would be this. Humility is the key to kingdom living. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins teaching. And I always found this interesting. From verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. He saw the multitudes, but he spoke to his disciples. That's pretty interesting. And he started with this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize their poverty, their spiritual poverty. It's not just poor, but those who have a, a spiritual poverty. Recognize that they're, they're not self-reliant. Uh, 
Another word for that is blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Over in chapter 18, Jesus follows up with this from verse 3, and he says, Surely I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's not actually saying you have to be childish. But there's something that he's making very clear. One more scripture, 1 Peter 5, and verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Oh, that's not the, the point we're making. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So as we get started, I want to say this. Humility is the key to living in the kingdom of God. It's the key to entering the kingdom. Unless I actually recognize that I'm not self-sufficient, unless I recognize I can't make myself righteous or good, I can't remove my own sin, I can't do enough to ever come back into relationship with God. Unless I recognize that, I don't ever turn to Jesus. Religion says, hey, you can just make yourself better. But God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Here's a a thought for you. Why did Jesus come and empty himself, Philippians 2, and become, was actually born in a manger? Because he came for the poor? No, because he was taking a humble road, and in his humility, grace entered in. Grace broke into the planet because Jesus humbled himself. I can't enter the kingdom unless I actually recognize my need and acknowledge it. Doesn't, be, doesn't mean I have to become childish. It means I have to actually recognize I'm not as great as I'd like to think I am. But not only is humility the key to entering the kingdom, it's also the key to continuing living in the kingdom in an ongoing relationship with God. There's something of us continuing in that place of humility. So, obviously, your, your next question is, what is humility? What does it mean to be humble? Humility, the word literally means humble-mindedness in the Greek. And it, it means being devoid of arrogance, conceit, or pride. I want to tell you this morning, humility is to be transparent, seen for what we are. 
Pride, on the other hand, is a desire to appear to be better than we are or different than what we are. Humility, I'm willing to be seen for, for what I am, being transparent. Pride is a desire to appear to be something that I'm not. Interestingly enough, pride really only works amongst people. It doesn't work amongst, with God. He actually already sees what I am. No matter how I try and hide it. Okay, two more scriptures. One John, chapter one. From verse five. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Interesting. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, it doesn't say we have fellowship with him. It says we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. One more, Ephesians chapter 5. From verse 8 to 13, we're going to read. For you were once darkness. Aren't you glad we don't start, stop there? <laughs> I was once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. So I want to share this with you this morning. What I found out is that humility is bringing everything into the light. Quite simple, isn't it? Problem is, when we sin, when we do wrong, our natural response is to hide. We want to hide it or cover it up, as Kate was sharing last week in uh, Genesis 3, verse 10. So when they had sinned, 
God came and called him and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Our natural response when we do wrong is to cover it up, to hide ourselves rather than to bring it into the light. I want to tell you, shame is the cover-up. As Kate said last week, shame is not part of God's kingdom. You know why? Because he expects us to come clean immediately. To immediately respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and then there's no need to cover anything. When we repent, when we admit we blew it, he forgives us and cleanses us. And then there's no reason to cover. There's no shame. A couple weeks ago, I was watching something on TV And I often don't pay real good attention to what I'm watching because I'm often doing it while I I tend to do multiple things. But what I was watching turned into a sex scene. And I have to say, it was pornographic. And I didn't immediately shut it off. But when the Holy Spirit convicted me, I repented. I don't have to hide it or cover it up. Interesting, about the same time, I was looking at something on Facebook. I hardly ever look at Facebook. Mary's on Facebook and keeps me informed of everything that's happening uh, with our family and, and friends. But every once in a while I do. And I happened to be scrolling down and there was a uh, deal and it was just two people sitting in a restaurant And I stopped on it for a moment. And again, it turned into something of a whole sexual thing. And I was shocked. I didn't click on it. I didn't look at it. I just simply paused on it while I was scrolling down. And it pushed this stuff at me. Now, not being Facebook smart, I didn't realize that that sets up an algorithm that pushes other things. So for the next couple of weeks, I kept getting these pictures of very scantily clad women. And I finally went to Mary and said, do you get this type of stuff on Facebook when you look at it? She said, no. <laughs> she said, you must have stopped on something. I said, I didn't click on anything. I didn't go to it. I simply paused on something. When I was young, you had to look for pornography. Now, it's being pushed at us and you have to look away. Why? Because the devil knows he can get us addicted. Someone said to me a few weeks ago that over 50% of the internet is given to pornography. Why am I saying this? See, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
But when we continue in sin without repenting, when we cover it and hide it, then shame is given power. And then something happens. Not only do we have the original problem of sin, we now also have the problem of shame. We give it life to affect us. And what that does is it opens up to us to, up to accusations of the enemy. Most of you have probably experienced that. But I want to say this. The first step to freedom is bringing things into the light. Admitting it. See, that breaks the power of darkness. It's exposed. We don't partner with darkness. We expose the deeds of darkness. And then that power is broken. That accusation of the enemy is broken over us. It has no place any longer. Now, let me say this. The first step to freedom is bringing things into the light. And I want to say this. Even if you've been the victim of someone else's sin. So you can't repent of sin you didn't, uh, that didn't do. You can't repent of someone else's sin, but bringing things into the light breaks the power of shame. Even if you've been the victim, you can bring it into the light. And the power of darkness is broken. See, shame only has power in darkness. It has no power when it's exposed. Now, to be honest, sometimes that's all it takes, and we can be immediately set free. But not always. See, if we've continued in sin for a long time and shame that goes with it, we develop habits of thinking, toxic thinking. As uh, one uh, neuropsychologist says, we build neuro superhighways in our brain and they become habit patterns. They become addictions to a certain way of thinking. And so while we can turn from sin and God forgives us, we often need to go through a process of rewiring our brain. Let me tell you, if you've repented of sin and you feel like that it still has a hold on you and you haven't been able to get free and you keep returning to it, you probably need some help rewiring your brain. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why the class Tim and Kate are doing. I was looking at the slide today and I thought that's a terrible slide. 
because it sounds like this is a class on getting free from online addictions. It has nothing to do with that. It's getting free from wrong, toxic thinking. Now, there can be other things. I happen to mention pornography, but it could be something else. It could be, as Kate said last week, you could have uh, gambling, online shopping, things that become an addiction to us that unless we turn from, shame gets piled on. And the thing is that once you repent, you're forgiven. But if you continue to that for a long time, sometimes you just need to get your brain rewired. None of you have ever done that, right? Surprised over the years how many times I've talked to people who had some area of sin that they had repented of, but they actually struggled getting free. So I want to repeat again what I said. The first step to freedom is bringing it into the light. Now, 1 Peter 5, 6, we read 1 Peter 5, 5, but 5, 6 says this, therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Can I say this? We don't need to try and humble anyone else. It's not your job to humble someone else. It's not your job to try and bring their actions into the light. That's their job. Interesting, even God does it, unless our actions are harming someone else. Many people are afraid of the manifestations of the Spirit and prophecy and things like that because they're afraid that God's going to expose my hidden sin. He actually doesn't. Why? Because he said, you have to humble yourself. You have to make the choice to bring things into the light. Thing is that once you've come to relationship with God through Jesus, you have the power to make that choice. You have the ability to make that choice. We humble ourselves. We choose to bring ourselves into the light. Our actions, our sin, our weakness, our hurts, it's all those things. Walking in humility is simply just being real. One of the number one criticisms of most of the church is that they're hypocrites. They're not authentic. In fact, I've said it before, but in seminaries in the U.S., training people to become pastors, they're taught don't ever have people in your home because they'll see what you're really like and lose respect for you. As if I have to put on this pretense 
of being more holy or more righteous or more capable. Or I have the answers to everything because I stand up here in front or you won't respect me. Yet God says just the opposite. And so you get all the, uh, the goods and the bads, the weakness, the things I've learned, and that, unfortunately, the struggles that I've often gone through in learning them. I don't know why God didn't just make me perfect when I came to Jesus. I mean, he could do that, right? He didn't. We humble ourselves. Everyone I've ever known who's gotten free from an addiction to pornography started with humbling themselves and bringing it to the light. Everyone I've ever known who's gotten free from an addiction to alcohol started with admitting they had a problem and bringing it to the light. Everyone I've known who's ever gotten free from anger began by admitting it. That's me. Probably all of these are me except for alcohol. I've never had an addiction to alcohol. Everyone I've known who's gotten free from shame, even the shame of victimhood, began by bringing it to the light. That's life in the kingdom. If we humble ourselves, we find grace. But God's opposed to the proud. Proud is we hide it. Proud is I want to appear to be something I'm not. I want you to think that I'm more holy than I really am. How could I ever have continued to watch something on TV that was inappropriate? Didn't I know immediately when it came on? Yes, I did. How about you? Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? Or has there something of the world system crept in? Because that's what we've been talking about for a couple months. Not being conformed to the world. Not accepting the values of the world. Not being contaminated or polluted by the world's values. World's values say, I have to fake it until I make it. I have to pretend that I'm something that I'm really not. And the kingdom of God says just the opposite. I've got to be honest with what I am so that God can transform me. That's the key to kingdom living. How about you? Is there something that you haven't brought to the light? Is there something that you've given a place to shame? I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I spend as much time asking God how to 
finish this as I did in seeking him on the message. There's something of us choosing to humble ourselves. But at the same time, God in his love wants what's best for us. And he doesn't want to humiliate us. So I've struggled with how do we apply this so that it's not just some knowledge, but there's actually some application. I'm not gonna talk too long because some of you will fall asleep if I keep, keep you there with your eyes closed while I'm talking. I'm gonna give you an opportunity in a moment to choose humility. But I'm not gonna ask you what it is that you're bringing into the light. But I am gonna charge you with this. If there's something that God's putting his finger on and you respond to him, you will probably have to share it with someone else. But probably not with all of us. How do we choose humility? We simply don't give in to the pressure of the enemy that says, no, don't bring this to the light. Nobody knows and nobody has to know. But I'm going to ask you, if the Holy Spirit's dealing something in your heart, if there's something that he's put his finger on, and you want to choose humility, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just stand up. Not to confess it, not to do anything, but just stand up and simply say, God, I hear you, and I'm responding to you. Not to these people, but to you. Would you do that? Would you choose humility this morning? It might be anger. It might be greed. Maybe God's been speaking something to you and you know it might be something of holiness. We've been singing songs about holiness and there's something that you know. Would you choose humility? Now I'm gonna encourage you. You've done a great job by breaking the power of that, by even standing. You'll probably need to share that with someone. We confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's something of God building people 
who will be open and transparent with each other. Lord, thank you that in your love, in your grace, in your goodness, you never condemn us. You're never trying to point out how rotten we are, just the opposite. You're trying to bring us into freedom so that we're no longer bound, so the things that the world has put upon us won't be addictions to us, but that we can be set free. Lord, thank you that as we humble ourselves, you give grace. Thank you for your grace right now. Your grace, your forgiveness, your power. Grace is not just a noun that says an unmerited favor, but it's also a verb. It's the power to walk in obedience to you. Lord, thank you for that grace in each of us. Thank you for the first step for some of us in freedom. Lord, for those who have done this before and have struggled and need some rewiring in their brain, thank you that we have that opportunity coming up. But Lord, we just recognize living in your kingdom is our joy, it's our desire for all of us. Can I ask all of us to stand? Lord, living in your kingdom, walking in step with your spirit is the greatest privilege that we have, knowing you and walking with you, being equipped to be a part of what you're doing in the world today. Lord, thank you that we have that privilege. We want to approach living in your kingdom with humility in everything. Lord, we want to say we want to know the truth of your word because we don't have it in ourselves to figure out what truth is. We want to say that we need the empowering of your spirit because we don't have the ability in ourselves to do it without you. We humble ourselves and we say we receive your grace. We walk in that in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.